You know why I'm so passionate about Music to Code By? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than 4 bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only 3 bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1334, recorded Thursday, July 28th, 2016. Hey, welcome back. It's Carl and Richard. I'm Carl. I'm Richard. <laughs> I'm a pickin' and I'm a grinnin'. <laughs> uh, it's click and clack. This is going to be an incredible show, I, I think, because you've been obsessing again over some really geeky stuff. As I do, yes. As you do, as you're wont to do. So uh, I'm very interested in what you have to say here. But first, I have some news for you. Let's just roll the music anyway. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? So this is news about my health. And I know oh. that there are people that are sort of rooting for me in the .NET Rocks mm -hmm. community. You know, I've, I've been a very heavy guy for a long time, up and down, but mostly up. And uh, in June last year, I was diagnosed with diabetes, type 2 diabetes. In uh, September, my A1C it was 7.4, which is in the diabetes range. And I managed through a ketogenic diet to completely reverse it. And I mean completely reverse. I just had blood work done. My A1C, which is an average of blood glucose over three months, is 5.9. Back in the healthy range. Yeah, which is no longer even pre-diabetes. So, and not only that, but I've lost 70 pounds. It's a lot of weight, man. It's a lot of weight. And the, and the doctor was a little bit scared, you know, because people are afraid when you say you eat bacon all the time and <laughs> they, they don't really know how to process it. Of course, it's lowering the carbs and eating the fat at the same time. That's the magic. But really what I wanted to tell you about was something even more incredible that we had happen on the podcast that I started for this, which is two keto dudes, uh, number two keto dudes.com with Richard Morris ex-developer express guy who also reversed type 2 diabetes. So this is amazing. We got this email, first of all, from this guy who heard me talking about it on this show and decided to go keto and lost 30, 40 pounds or whatever. But his wife was already type 2 diabetic, Cassie Ewers. And she was already a type 2 diabetic and she was taking insulin. And then she came out with this bombshell Today, I threw my insulin away. I was nervous, sitting, waiting to get my A1C at the doctor's office. He came in, smiling huge, 
told me I dropped my A1C from a 9.7, that's high, to a 6.3. His next words were, quote, I'm assuming this is due to regular insulin use and following your recommended diet more closely. LOL. We had a bit of a chat then. <laughs> he was impressed by my results, but still skeptical. However, with this kind of improvement, he said I no longer needed my insulin. And folks, I was on a lot of insulin, short and long acting, four injections a day and headed towards five. He also halved my dosage of metformin, took me off my blood pressure medication and said I no longer needed to see him quarterly, only after eight weeks of imperfect keto, eight weeks. So this is what she did. She went away somewhere and forgot her insulin. So she called the insurance company and the insurance company said, no, they would not give her any replacement insulin. She was out of luck. Welcome to America. Wow. That's basically killing her. Basically killing her. Yes. The insurance company basically withheld what she needed to live because of, you know, money. Welcome to America, Richard. Right. And so she basically decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm, I was thinking about going keto. My husband's doing it. I'm going to do it too. And in three days, her blood sugar normalized. And in eight weeks, she wasn't diabetic anymore. That's fast. That's fast and amazing. Like, I wouldn't have done that. I, I don't think people should do that. That seems crazy to me. Very, yeah, dangerous. Really. Dangerous. What if, it hadn't, what if she, it didn't work? What if the key, if she didn't had, couldn't get herself into ketosis? Well, and more importantly, what if her pancreas didn't actually work, you know? Start kicking in again, yeah. She she was headed for being a type 1. That's right. And usually when you're type 2 diabetic and they start giving you insulin, at some point your pancreas sort of gives up and says, all right. I I don't need to produce because I'm getting it elsewhere. Why would I bother? Right. So, uh, but it turns out her pancreas worked just enough to to make the insulin that she required for life function and uh, and it all worked out. But, But still... A little bit crazy, but it's it's a little bit telling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, it speaks in, interestingly to the challenges of modern diet. Yeah, and modern medicine, and what they think, and what they're teaching diabetics, and how to eat, and all that stuff. So, it's a it's an interesting story that we have going on over at Two Keto Dudes, and I just wanted to share that. So, who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show twelve eighty six, the geek out we did about supersonic aircraft. Hmm. Which was a good fun romp, you know? Yeah. You got to spend some time on all this. And uh, James Wilcox said, uh, on the question of whether cost comfort over speed of travel is what will sell, I feel too much emphasis is put on the airlines or the flight itself. Usually a premium ticket includes lounge access at the gate, along with power and Wi-Fi and dining luxuries that the business travelers require. In addition, three and a half hours of transatlantic flight time becomes less relevant when you're still advised to be at the airport two to three hours before departure and most large flights boarding one hour before pushback. So a regular New York to London flight is, in fact, 11 hours airport to airport. Now, I think you're crossing things up here. If you're Hmm. doing business travel, you don't need to show up as early. You don't wait as long in the lines. Like, your overall experience is better. But I'm with you that the overhead of flight travel becomes more relevant than the flight itself, which was the argument we made in this show. Exactly. You might as well be comfortable because you're going to take too long all the time. Right. And he also goes on to say, however, I'm aware it's in the airport's interest to have people spending money for as long as possible, basically implying the incentive of we don't want to go faster because it makes more money for the airport when you stay there. Right. And I think that may be true today, but it didn't start out that way. You know, adding restaurants and things to airports happened as flying did take longer and there was more waiting and people wanted things to do. The demand came first. Mm. 
the stores came second. It took time then to start rebuilding airports into essentially malls yeah. to keep you busy because of the efficiency problems of flying. But I do believe overall, the, the overarching story of supersonic aircraft flight was that there's simply for, it's inevitably going to cost more and it is not worth it for most people. Yeah. Right. right. That the reality is it's going to take time. We've made it as comfortable as possible. Why would you worry about going faster? Mm-hmm. For better or worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not particularly happy about it, but that is the reality of it. So, James, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook or Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And you can follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Please send us a tweet. We build solar panels with him. Nice. And we are going to talk about solar panels today, my friend. Well, of course we are. So when <laughs> I think about electric planes, I obviously think about solar-powered planes because otherwise you have a battery-powered plane and that isn't going to work all that well, is it? Well, and we're, we're trying to get there, actually. But and, it, and part of doing this show now is the timeliness of it. Because just last month, in July of 2016, the Solar Impulse 2 landed. Yeah. And that is an aircraft that flew around the world on solar power. That's yeah, a one-seater, too, right? Yeah. It, it, it is very much the spirit of St. Louis moment for solar panels. Yep. And for solar-powered flight. Uh, you didn't hear that much about solar impulse. It sort of came and went from the news. Mm. And I think one of the reasons is that it was largely privately financed. Uh, a bunch of big European companies. This is sort of the wealthy part of Europe that does these balloon trips and all these sorts of things. Same group of folks. Um, the one name that popped out in the backers was Peter Diamatis. Mm-hmm. That's the guy behind the X Prizes. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Multi-billionaires. All, you see him on all the Teds and things like that. He sure. was involved in this. They figure all up. They spent $170 million over a period of about seven, eight years to do this. Mm-hmm. And they actually built two versions of the aircraft. The first one, which they built back in 2009, Solar Impulse 1. I mean, yeah, one-seater aircraft. Yeah. But the wingspan of the thing was 208 feet. That is 10 feet more than a 747. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason, of course, is that, A, you want a long, narrow wing, yeah. right, very wide but shallow, so it has a lot of lift, right, for a lightweight aircraft, and it's more surface area for solar panels. So the right. whole wing surface was covered in solar panels, about 2,200 square feet. At peak charge, the uh, you know, optimal light, and let's face it, airplanes have some advantages. You get above the clouds, less atmosphere. Mm. Those solar panels would gather about 45 kilowatts of power. That's a lot. That's a, that's a lot, a lot, right? Yeah. That's a better, you know, that's a couple of houses worth of electricity. Then again, you know, so, you got to keep those props turning all night when there's no sun, right? So they did have to haul batteries as well. They yeah. had four 21 kilowatt lithium ion batteries, all up aircraft, 4,400 pounds at takeoff. About a quarter of that, a little over a thousand pounds were the batteries. 4,000 pounds? This weighs two tons? Yep. Wow. It's a big machine, man. And How the heck does it fly? It actually, uh, 45 miles an hour. Oh, my gosh. 
Yeah, and you're going to go around the world in that. It's going to take a while. Now, the, the Solar Impulse 1 did not go around the world. It did demonstrate in 2010 the core concept. It did a 26-hour flight. So it flew all day, all night to show that it could. But the net power production was not high enough. So day over day, it would run out of power because you mm. didn't get a chance to fly fast and fully charge the battery. So they built a slightly bigger one in 2014 called Solar Impulse 2. And this one had a backup hamster wheel, right, Richard? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Run faster, run faster. <laughs> Actually, it's just a little bit more of everything. Okay. So wingspan. Fans about 30 feet longer, uh, so that means a little more solar panels, and the solar panels got better. One of the reasons that electric aircraft is suddenly getting exciting is the the electric car industry and solar panels in general have taken so many steps forward recently. Mm-hmm. We'll, we're probably going to end up doing another geek out about this, but I've been talking about it a bit in, in the forums on different shows. But solar panel costs have fallen so much mm. that we're at, at utility scale now. So big scale solar panels. And this is solar voltaics. Yeah. As opposed to solar thermal are approaching the price per, per terawatt of coal of the cheapest power in the world. Wow. And there's a bunch of reasons why that is. And it's a long story. So, I mean, I really don't want to go into it right now, but it's, it's a big deal. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Stackify. Hey, you know, .NET developers are writing better code these past few months. Well, the thousands that are using Prefix are anyway. Stackify built Prefix to rapidly improve their own apps. Now they've decided to share it with the rest of us, which is great. No .NET profiler is easier, prettier, or more powerful, and people are catching on. Twitter is a flutter with stories of saved bacon. Go to bit.ly slash getprefix, and we'll hook you up with a free download. I've seen in the news all over the place that we're approaching this point at which it becomes not only viable, but, you know, economically feasible. Is that why summer of 2016 seems to be like a tipping point for electric aircraft? Absolutely. And, and it's not necessarily solar panels per se, because none of the big aircraft I'm about to talk about running on electric worry about solar panels at all. Okay. Um, that will come later. But I think the electric car industry has also made motors way better, has made batteries way better. Like let's lay it at the feet of Elon Musk that the technology has generally improved. So the, the step between Solar Impulse 1 and Solar Impulse 2, that five year span yeah. meant that the slightly bigger wingspan added more solar panels, but the solar panels got more efficient. So they went from the 45 kilowatts of the old plane to 66 kilowatts of the new plane. They also were able to double the amount of battery for relatively small amounts of weight increase. They went Mm. to a 1,400 pound set of batteries, but now it was four 41 kilowatt hour lithium ion batteries. And the motors themselves doubled in power, almost doubled in power. The old motors were about 10 horsepower each, the new ones 17.5. So with almost no weight increase overall, they made this bigger vehicle, much more powerful motors, much more powerful solar panels. And so what they were then able to do is cruise faster during the day. They do about 56 miles during the day and 37 miles per hour at night so that they could conserve. They had enough power in the morning, recharge the batteries and repeat. And so now they had a continuously sustainable aircraft. Now they did land because people get tired and need food and so forth. So right. they were, but they never used any other power source. 
It was supposed to be about a five-month trip. They they left out of Abu Dhabi, which is in the United Arab Emirates, in March of 2015. They were expected to be back there by August of the same year. Unfortunately, on the longest leg, the leg from Asia across the Pacific, where they were landing in Hawaii in July of 2015, they overheated the battery system and did significant damage to it. Now, they were able to land safely. Was there a fire? No. You know, it just what it, the, they were able to keep it under control, uh, but it damaged the battery packs and the, and it just meant disassembling the aircraft to replace the batteries. And so they didn't fly again till April of this year of 2016 and made it back to Abu Dhabi by July of this year. Wow. And so overall, you're talking about a 26,000 mile flight on only solar power, no other fuel of any kind, average traveling speed of about 30 miles an hour. So this is not the fastest experience, but. Such an amazing proving point, not just of solar panels, but also of electric motors and battery systems. Yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of other companies like Airbus has built a little two seat aircraft they call the E Fan that goes about 130 miles an hour. Flight duration is not that far, but it's in some ways it feels like a toy. And if we really want to talk about electric aircraft, we got to talk airliner scale, don't you think? Well, I just can't imagine that an electric airline. You know, and you're talking about no jet fuel, right? Well, no is an interesting question. Okay, because if you have jet fuel, now you have a hybrid system. But a purely electric system has got to have solar panels, I got to think. Well, the problem is you'd never get enough. You you think about the wingspan on the solar impulse, right? Which was big. You couldn't land it at any airport, pretty much. It's much bigger than a 747's wingspan just to power a single-seat aircraft. Didn't they land in St. Louis halfway around the the world and uh, put it in hangar for a bit? They land well. That, it was actually in Hawaii that they did the long stop. Okay, right? but the reality is, with wingspan that big, you could never pull up to a gate or anything like that. You can land on a runway, but then you sort of have to go away. Yeah, you know, any hangar you want to go into has got to be two hundred feet plus wide so you can get in there. So the massive wingspan is just impractical. When you think about, a, and I'm I'm going to use a reference airliner, a medium sized airliner, like a seven thirty seven, right? The, okay. sort of the next generation seven thirty seven. These are the about eighty million dollar, how many hundred fifty passenger aircraft? Right. That only has a hundred and twenty foot wingspan. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's just it's not at the same scale when you talk about generating solar. There's just not enough solar available. Remember that, you know, the light density is only so high. You're going to, at the maximum, ideal, if you could collect every iota of energy, there was no atmospheric innervation. You had perfect conversion with photovoltaic. The most you're going to get is a kilowatt per square meter. Mm. And that's not even close to the total power requirements you're going to need for an electric airliner. Yeah, right. Okay. And uh, just to wrap up the solar thing, there are at least 20 companies that have solar powered uh, planes is that right uh, all kinds are experimenting with it and in various degrees of success right i mean i, I pull out the solar impulse one because it's been in the news yeah and it's it is been successful but it's not a product no you know, of it's still not. a research experiment yeah so there's no there's no commerciality here at this point right yeah and that's you know you make a pretty big jump when you go from the experiments of wealthy europeans to the commercial airline industry and NASA and, and you know, mm. what they're really building, what the real specs look like okay. for an aircraft. And NASA, over many decades, and again, you know, we mostly think about them from the space side, but, you know, what this, the first A stands for aeronautical. 
They right. do a lot of research on aircraft and they fund uh, paper airplanes, essentially experiments in what does the next generation of aircraft look like and the generation beyond that and the generation beyond that. So they, they use the notation N plus. So yeah. N is your current generation aircraft. So they'll talk about an N plus one and an N plus two and an N plus three. Right. And in each of those designations, they'll also talk about what are the requirements we're looking for, reductions in fuel consumption, reductions in emissions, increases in efficiency, and so forth, and sort of challenge industry. And, they, and they're going to the Boeings and the Lockheeds and, and, and so forth to develop designs for better and better aircraft. So there was a project called Sugar for Subsonic Ultra Green Aircraft Research <laughs> uh, done in 2010. And I'll include a YouTube video about sugar. And, and, and I also found Boeing's final report on the sugar efforts from that era. Uh, 250 pages of glorious reading. Wow. Um, but okay. really intelligent. And so this design was, and, and again, the, the, one of the reasons that I focus on the fact that it was 2010 is because in the six years, Technology made a big jump. The power of motors has improved. The powers of, uh, of battery storage improved a lot. So back in 2010, Boeing actually did dozens of different designs, experimented different aircraft. They played with the blend and wig body. They played with a thing they called the double bubble to hull side by side. A lot of different kinds of wing designs and so forth. And they sort of settled on one, which again had a very large wingspan. So sort of similar to solar impulse. Big enough that they actually said the wings would have to fold in order to be useful as an airliner. Hmm. Now, this can be done, but I think it's disturbing. Yeah. Right? Like, Boeing makes the, the F-18 fighter jet, which is a carrier fighter jet, and so it has folding wings so that they can put more of them inside of the aircraft carrier where space is a constraint. Right. So there's no question that it's possible to build folding ring airliners. But are you okay flying on one? Like, are people going to be all right with this idea that a part of your wing folds up, you get it, you, you're, it, well, while it's parked, you get on, and then it taxis out onto the runway, folds the wings down, and takes off. It's kind of like walking on telescopic stilts, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> kind of, yeah. So, the, uh, the ultimate manifestation of the sugar project, it turned out, I mean, these are what they call pair airplanes. They're experiments in how far you can go with an aircraft. And they were modeling their core design after a 737. And so just to put some specs out there for 737, the conventional aircraft, and I'm, I'm talking like the 700, 800 series. So not the oldest one, not the newest one, sort of the mid range N, right? Okay. The current production aircraft, although, I mean, the first of this series flew in like 1998. So it is, you know, 10 plus years old at this point, but still very much standard. 4,000 nautical mile range, empty, everything out of it, no baggage, no people, no fuel, about 83,000 pounds. Wow. Full fuel tanks is 7,000 gallons of fuel. That's about 56,000 pounds. All wow. up, if you got everything on it, like the maximum takeoff weight of an aircraft like this is about 155,000 pounds. Its maximum mm. landing weight is 130 pounds, which presents an interesting truth yeah. when we talk about the advantages of petroleum-powered aircraft over any electric solution. Yeah. Aircraft that run on, on jet, jet fuel get lighter as they fly. Because you burn sure. fuel, right? A yeah. fully fueled 737 is one-third fuel in terms of mass. 
That's a big deal. That is a big deal. It's a deal. lot of weight. It's a lot and of in weight. Fact, the plane can take off so heavy it, because of that fuel. It cannot land that heavy. In an emergency, it has to get rid of a lot of fuel to be light enough to safely land. If it landed at its maximum takeoff weight, it tear the wings off and crush the landing gear. So the model they called the Sugar Volt was a hybrid. Mm-hmm. So you can envision the Sugar Volt, and, and again, I have pictures and stuff for you to look at, as a 737 hull. With 737 engines on a longer wing, what they call a truss ring, because it's actually got a support for it, because it's such a long, narrow wing. And the engines are a hybrid. So the reality of turbofan engines, and we talked about this when we were talking about next generation airliners, is they're a compromise engine anyway. The, the turbine in the center that generates all the power and actually burns the fuel wants to spin very, very fast. But because it makes the air so hot, it's not effective, really effective at pushing air out the back. So you put a bigger fan on the front of that engine, making a turbo fan, which does the vast majority of the actual pushing of the aircraft. Okay. Follow me? Yeah. And it, and that fan wants to turn more slowly than the inner turbine to actually push air efficiently. And the way that aircraft designers design those engines, right, the basic guideline for how much engine power do you need is mm-hmm. I need enough power on this aircraft that fully loaded during takeoff, one of those engines can fail and I can still fly back safely. Right. So the engines and the rest of the time, the engines are barely used. Hmm. But once that aircraft gets to altitude and is cruising, the energy consumption is dramatically lower. And this is what Boeing figured out with Sugar Volt, is that you want to run a fuel engine, a powerful engine, for your takeoff. But once you get to altitude, you should be able to flip to a pure electric with enough power to push yourself along when cruising. So carry substantially less fuel, carry some battery, and have a hybrid engine where you can spin that fan with an electric motor as well as spin it with the fuel motor. So we're talking no solar panels. Nope. Just batteries. Yes. Huh. Okay. And they had, without a doubt, they had sizing issues. So in 2010, they were talking about battery technology isn't dense enough yet. We're going to have to do this and do that, you know, to try and get close. But it sort of spoke to this logical hybrid that you have a high power consumption time, you have a low power consumption time. Oh, and by the way, the primary concern of uh, air pollution from airliners is at altitude because you have these nitrous oxides being released by the engines at altitude and they stay up there. Oh. When you're closer to the ground, they're more likely to fall out as rain. But when you're up above the clouds, it's very hard to get rid of those emissions. So if we could climb out, shut off the emissions, and just go to electric, we are seriously improving the issue of air pollution from airliners. So this is one of the reasons that Sugar Volt was so compelling. Wow, that's great, actually. Um, so it sounds like a great idea, but how well did it work? They never built it. Oh. It was a paper airplane, right? And it, and again, they pointed to the issues of batteries aren't powerful enough. We'll have to design this new engine. Right? But, it, you know, these sorts of experiments, they actually modeled the airflow in the aircraft. They did a lot of experimentation hmm. at subscale because they're trying to figure out what the next airliner is really going to look like. Can't they just paint the whole plane with solar paint? It's not, not enough power, my friend. Just not enough surface I area. know. I'm totally kidding. Yeah. I, I get it. Well, Richard, 
Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? It must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to announce a new hybrid joke. It's half funny and half makes me want to reach into my phone and strangle that guy. <laughs> That's a pretty good joke, I should <laughs> Which half did you like You better? start off just feeling sad and embarrassed, and by you end being angry. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hashtag eye roll. Nice. It's time to give away a D experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Today's winner, Richard, is Christian Peters. I think we're Christian. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah, golf clap for Christian. And uh, Christian just won the D Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at Developer Express. And if you don't know what just happened here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. So they never built it. Nope. It was, like I said, it was just an experiment to see, could a next-generation airliner look like this? Do we have the benefits from it? And so forth. And this is totally normal. Have any have any electric hybrids been built? Well, a few have been experimented with, but mostly pure electric so far. The high the problem is the cost of building the engine is so high mm. that if you don't have a commitment for a market, yeah. it's almost never going to be built. We talked about this when we talked about the geared turbofan by right. Pratt and Whitney, where they essentially gambled millions to try and improve the turbojet engine. Hmm. Uh, so, will it ever be built? That's an interesting question, and it's probably later in our show as we work our way through this, because new numbers are coming that make it look more and more feasible. Ooh. So, let's jump ahead a little bit. Okay. Imagine you wanted to build a pure electric aircraft. You're okay. going to go all out with this. Now, first off, it's just like, how much power are we talking about? Yeah. And as an example, the 787, right, the Dreamliner, yeah. is a very power-hungry aircraft, even though it has... A pair of RP-1 fueled turbofan engines. It's one of the most electric hungry aircraft in the world because okay. they've eliminated a lot of hydraulics and they use electric actuators for the control service on the aircraft. Now, why would they do that? Hydraulics are heavy. Yeah. They're also, they also have a lot of maintenance to them, right? They have hydraulic pumps. They have high pressure lines. They need seals. There's lots of care and feeding when it comes to hydraulics. Electric motors are small. Wires are, are light and small. Mm. And so there's an advantage using electricity to control surfaces. And then you have all the interior stuff, heating, air conditioning, entertainment systems, instrumentation. There's a lot of electricity. It normally runs in an airplane anyway. Right. The, but the 787, which still a jet fuel powered aircraft needs 1.8 megawatts oh. of electricity to operate. Yeah, solar just ain't gonna work. 
Right. Right. When you talk about those massive solar panels on Solar Impulse One generating 66 kilowatts, kilowatts. of power. Yeah. Let's double the surface area there and we get yeah. to 150, 150 kilowatts. Yeah. And that's, remember, that's almost two megawatts and we haven't even made the aircraft fly yet. Right. Right. So the estimate for a single aisle airliner for our 737, right? The 787 is actually quite a bit bigger of an aircraft. For a 737, it's somewhere between 5 and 10 megawatts of power to yeah. be fully electric. Right. Okay. Now, from a weight perspective, let's talk batteries. Okay. So, in order to get 5 megawatts of electricity into an airplane, you need to get about 1,000 watt hours per kilo, roughly 500 watt hours per pound, into a given battery. And we're not even close to that right now. I get it. So in order for the batteries to be light enough and for their weight, have the power output that you need to lift the plane and all the people, that's what we have to have density-wise. Exactly. So you figure a fully fueled 737 has about 56,000 pounds worth of fuel on board. Mm. So, you know, let's make it a nice round 25 tons of fuel. Okay, so I've got 25, I got a 25 ton budget for battery in theory, right? How much battery can I fit into that space to get enough power to actually make that work? Mm. And it's, we're, we still have a ways to go. And basically an an order of magnitude, a tenfold increase in density to actually get that. They figure that's going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years. Although I think it will be sooner because of the increases in batteries we're getting from the electric cars. But there's another issue. Well, now you said your benchmark was what the Dreamliner. Yes, and you the amount of power required to operate this thing. Does that include the power to take off, or just the power to to nope. fly above? You know, once you've got up to altitude, one point eight megawatts of non-propulsive power. Oh wow! Right, the seven eighty seven still runs on regular jet fuel engines. But it has to generate electricity from those engines to operate its control services and everything else in the aircraft. And I, wow. and I bring it up just because that's how power hungry we're talking. So that's not even propulsion. Before propulsion. Jeezum. But it's, and the reason that 787 is so high is because its control surfaces are also electric. In most yeah. aircraft, in all 737s up till now, they have hydraulic control surfaces. Yeah, yeah. And so that doesn't, so the electrical consumption level is much lower. Mm. It's also one of the reasons that the 787 had problems with batteries. Right. They were exploding and they were, they were catching fire. Catching fire. And one of the reasons was that because there's so much power in needed in that aircraft, they chose to use lithium ion batteries instead of the normal airline, uh, nickel metal hydride batteries because mm-hmm. lithium ion are so much denser. So they're right. lighter for the amount of power, but they have heat problems. Mm-hmm. Anytime you play with this much electricity, with megawatts of electricity, you have tremendous heating problems. Right. Well, you can and take that heat, boil some water, turn a turbine, and we got power. <laughs> there, you're not, you know, and you think in the right way. One of the ways they cool things on aircraft is by pumping fuel past them. Yeah. Because the fuel's in these big tanks in the wings where it's cold outside. And and warmer fuel actually burns more efficiently. And so it's very normal for them to use, to dump that heat into fuel. But we don't have fuel anymore. Right. Right? We now have batteries that we have to keep cool, right? And it, interestingly enough, you know at altitude it's very cold, right? Yes. 
But when you're flying at speed, there's enough air friction that it's not actually that cold. Yeah. And, and lithium ion batteries function best no, at below temperature about 140 degrees Fahrenheit. But at cruise, a wing surface due to friction heating is already 100 degrees. Yeah. Wow. We have a cooling problem, a serious cooling problem when you get that much battery together. Now, one of the ways you can cool is you use airflow. You use what they call ram air. Yeah. And, but ram air creates drag, which means you have to run your aircraft harder, which means you're probably generating more heat. Hmm. So there's a nasty negative cycle here. There's no get, is there any getting out of this, Richard? Well, as batteries become more efficient, like why, why do batteries get hot? What's going on, right? Like why, why does that even happen in the first place? And it's, it's inefficiencies in conversion. So I generate a certain amount of electricity, right? Here I am generating a megawatt of electricity. A megawatt doesn't go into my batteries, right? Hopefully, because I have a good, efficient charging system, 85% of it goes into the batteries. Hmm. Where happens to the other 15%? It becomes heat. Hmm. And that's the issue. So as I can increase the efficiency of batteries and charging, I have fewer heat problems. Hmm. So you're going to battle back and forth on this. If I advance technology a bit more, that can be a bit more efficient. And by the way, how big? Say, say I wanted two megawatts worth of battery. Yeah. You want to guess how much that stuff costs today? Two megawatts worth of battery? That's got to be uh, probably a million dollars. Mm, closer to a hundred million. A hundred million. And when you consider the entire aircraft is worth about eighty million. Jeez. Yeah, we got a problem. Jeez. So, battery technology needs to move a fair ways to make a pure electronic aircraft. I need to be more efficient. I need to be more power dense, and I have to be less expensive. Good by God. A, by a lot. It's a lot of pieces in there. Now, and nobody's made battery systems and power generation systems quite this powerful. In fact, they're calling in the current research right now, they're trying to get to, in the next couple of years, a megawatt of power emitted into motors at about a 96% efficiency so they can manage the heat mm. with about eight horsepower of thrust per pound of the weight. That's the way they're calculating the strength of the motor. Mm-hmm. The best that's been done so far, there's a company called LaunchPoint Technologies. They use a thing called a Hallbach array, which is really kind of cool stuff. Yeah. They got to a 93% efficiency at six and a half uh, horsepower per pound at about a hundred kilowatts. So one tenth of the scale that we're trying for, but they were pretty close on efficiency and density. Like it was out well, by about 20%. Well, Richard, you know, we wouldn't be talking about this if you weren't at least a little bit hopeful that it could be done someday. There's a lot more ex- research and experimentation that has to go into the electric side for us to go to pure electric. But the reason this got really interesting for me is that with all the conversation going on in here, there's been some new discoveries. Now, one thing that's happened is that the X-planes are coming back. X-planes. Yeah. So, you remember the X-1, the first aircraft to break the speed of sound? Okay. And the, the X-15 was really sort of the first real space airplane. Right. Um, the If you go... Uh, the last NASA X-plane, because there's also military X-planes, and that's that last NASA X-plane was the X-43, which is a hypersonic experimental aircraft. And don't forget they, Luke Skywalker's X-wing fighter, Richard. You didn't bring that thing. up. I did not bring that up <laughs> because that's not even science fiction. That's just fantasy. <laughs> Said the Star Trek guy versus the Star Wars guy. Yeah. Let's get over that. All right. Uh, I'm willing to. 
So my so NASA has just announced the X fifty seven Maxwell. Oh no! Now the so the X fifty seven, which should be flying next year, is taking an off the shelf light aircraft, a two seater, and they're doing distributed electric propulsion on it. Mm-hmm. So here's the other innovation that's kind of interesting here. One of the upsides when I have a battery system is now I can build a fan solely focused on moving air for thrust, right? All okay. turbofan engines have to combine moving air and providing air to the engine, right? It's yeah. A, it's, a, it's a mix. Right. And that's really kind of a problem, right? It's a hard thing to deal with. One of the ideas that was proposed here was actually to, instead of having a big rotor hanging under the wing, Take that engine, the whole assembly, right? So think of that sort of cone-shaped assembly mm-hmm. and put it on the tail of the aircraft. Okay. So the center is actually part of the tail, and you just have the rotor blades around the outside edge with an electric motor buried in it, blowing air out the back of the airplane. Now, what's compelling about that? Well, when you hang pods under wings, you affect its lift. It's not as efficient. So you, as much as that's a thrust device, it's also creating drag. When you embed it as part of the tail, you minimize drag, which means you're going to fly more efficiently. Right. And that whole design of sort of sliding it over the tail like that means the boundary airflow layer. So the air that flows along the, the hull of the aircraft will go neatly into that rotor and be blown out the back to accelerate the aircraft. That's so some serious streamlining. Really incredibly streamlined, very smooth flowing air, very uh, efficient design of en- mm. an engine. You're s- now that you're able to separate the thrust from the power generation with that high-pressure turbine, you can just start thinking about the fan very differently. And that was sort of one of the first insights. Like a problem I have with Sugar Volt is it basically looks like a normal airliner, except they're kind of messing with the engine. Mm. They hadn't thought through all the compromises that they'd gotten to for that design. Now that you can separate thrust from power generation, you start looking at different aircraft designs. Yeah. The Empirical System Aerospace, they call ES Aero, who are the prime contractors for the X-57, mm-hmm. they've been thinking about that exact thing. And this is why the X-57 is coming along, because they came up with an aircraft design they call Turbo Electric Distributed Propulsion. Hmm. All right? Okay. So let's go back to the 737 the hull design, right? Normal fuselage, normal wing. Yeah. Take the engine pods off. Gone. We're going to do engines differently today. Our, our thrust mechanism is going to be different. Okay. Halfway down the wing, I'm going to put in a pair of turbine power generators. Turbine okay. power generators. So something's yeah, so going to move the turbine and they're going to generate power just like a so hand-cranked ins- radio. Instead of mixing thrust and power generation i'm going to build a turbo shaft engine optimized for power generation that's all it does is generate electricity okay okay so it doesn't have that big fan face it actually has a very small opening in the front so is it going to be turned by the air coming in yes okay so we're still talking about a regular turbine engine burning fuel however it's now shaped to burn that fuel as efficiently as possible. In fact, that turbine's going to spin much faster because I don't have a fan to deal with. Okay. So I'm actually burning my fuel more efficiently. I have much lower emissions and I generate more energy for the size. So the actual turbine will be dramatically smaller. It'll almost be just a blister on the wing, just a bit of a bulge with a vent in the front and almost no airflow coming out the back because all of the airflow and acceleration is being pushed into the turbines to turn a generator. Interesting. And is is there going to be more than one of these on a wing? 
one on each wing. That's it. Just for balance. And that should be capable of generating sufficient electricity to power this entire aircraft. Really? You follow me? Yes. So wait a minute. So this is, this is a jet engine. So it's powered by fuel, you said. Yep. And. But all it's doing is generating electricity. But, but it's not moving the plane. That's right. Now we have to talk about what we're going to do for thrusts. Got it. What are we going to do for thrust? Well, we could do the tail fan thing. That's kind of cool, actually. I kind of like my hamster idea. Yeah. <laughs> but how about this? Mm. If you have one big fan, you have a single point of failure. Mm-hmm. Right? If something goes wrong with that fan, we've got no more thrust. Right. It's a large, heavy thing at the tail of the aircraft. I mean, it's got some issues. Yeah. What if we went with little fans? Lots of them. So what they're talking about is inboard of the turbo shaft, right? So that's the the power generator. So from that point at the middle of the wing to the hull, buried in the wing are eight fans. Hmm. Okay. They're all electric powered, so they don't have any fuel or anything running to them like that. They're just electricity. And they are inside the wing. So as the air hits the wing, it gets pulled through those rotors and blown out the back of the wing. Interesting. Now, what are the advantages? Very low drag. Yeah, Because it's that's not true. so big. Yeah. Redundancy. We got a lot of fans. You can have a few failed. Not a big deal. Right. Plus, there's a thing called the blown flap effect, which is a few aircraft use, but it's complicated with big engines. It only works with small engines. The fact that those engines, those rotors are embedded in the wing means you can blow them across, blow their exhaust across a flight surface and provide additional lift. Interesting. So it actually flies super efficiently. Uh, it could take off in less distance, move a lot faster. The other thing is when you use a bunch of small motors, you don't have as many heat problems. They're spread out over more area. Yeah. Now, would you still need big jet engines to get up in the air? No. Really? This should have enough power to fly the whole thing. Hmm. You would burn a lot more electricity. You'd run it harder to take off because you need a lot more thrust. Right? But okay. You, and you, but the nice thing about electric motors is that they work well at high speed and low speed. So mm. you can turn down those turbines. You don't have to run them near as hard once you're at cruise speed. So mm-hmm. you don't, you again, reduce the emissions and your fans run just as efficiently. Now, do you still need batteries? You don't need batteries. And don't the, have to haul that weight around. And this works for a liner sized plane? So the 2015 re- reference version using known technology, nothing needs to be invented, came up with a comparable range and fuel efficiency as an existing 737. No kidding. And that's why they started freaking out because it was completely unexpected. We always came up to, we're going to need this new technology we haven't developed yet. And here it was because motors have improved as much as they have. And because you're finally building turbines that do one thing well, and you suddenly use that ducted fan concept, it's like the numbers sort of popped up and it's like, this is an airliner capacity vehicle design. Wow. And this is where the X-15 Maxwell comes in. Because what the X-15 Maxwell actually was going to look like is, imagine a totally conventional small aircraft, like a Cessna 172, high wing, two-seater, normally has a prop in the front. Yeah. No prop in the front. Instead, a dozen little propellers across the length of the wing. Now, these propellers are inside the wing, though. These are turbines, They are not. Right? They're on the surface. The wing is too small on a light aircraft. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. But it's an experiment 
in can we what happens when you have a whole bunch of little motors working together on it so yeah. if you look for pictures of the x50 57 maxwell and these are just proposals right these are artistic renderings you can see a small wing with two bigger rotors at one at each end of the wing and five little motors in the middle uh, across the length of the wing hmm. So this is the beginning of experimenting with multiple fan lift using purely electric thrust. Wow. And so that's how good it is. This design comes along like, we need to start testing this. First thing we should do is the multi-electric fan thing. And that is the X57. That is incredible. And so where are they in the design phase? Do they have a model working on computers yet? They've got the model working. They actually have the hull of the aircraft. They're beginning to build the wing and put in the motors. They expect to fly it next year. No kidding. It's that real. That's incredible. And now I'm excited. That's, that's pretty amazing. So you're seeing the balancing back and forth. It's a bunch of different technologies that have to work at the same time. These new motors versus batteries versus, you know, lightweight systems and hybrid power. And NASA is now willing to start testing this. So something that was years into the future has being brought back mm-hmm. into, we could do this right now. Yeah. And so they're expecting with these 14 electric motors that they should be able to make a 175 mile an hour private airplane. Wow. That's amazing, my friend. It's, it may be the beginning. The electric aircraft may stop being paper and start being real. I certainly hope so. Because I want to do another geek out on this. This is great <laughs> stuff. Uh, we'll come back to this next year. We'll do it in a, an electric aircraft. How about that? This is Carl Richard. We're flying over Vancouver right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a seat in the sky running on electricity. Right. With no Wi-Fi. Nice. That's what I got, buddy. All right. That's great stuff, Richard. Thanks a lot for all you do. It's awesome. You bet, man. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a